Welcome to the Men at Work podcast, episode 24. I'm your host, Travis Streb. We've got Gregory Youngblood on the cast today. He is a former Silicon Valley executive turned men's coach, and he is just releasing his second book, and it is called The Masculine in Relationship. You know, that was really the topic of today's podcast. I've known Gregory for about a year now, and uh, he's got obviously a depth of experience working as a business leader, but you know, what people don't know a lot about is he's also got a great background in, uh, you know, his own relationships, his own uh, successes and failures, and his new book is really a testament to that. You know, it's not, and it's not a traditional relational guide. This is really about embracing the fact that we live on a polarity planet, as Yogi Bhajan says, and that you know, the, the secret to relationship is really playing with that polarity. So we talked, we talked about the framework that Gregory's got in his book. We talked about the idea of responding versus reacting and how important that is uh, for the masculine in relationship. We talked about finding that space between stimulus and response that is, you know, especially challenging when you're working in um, in a romantic relationship. And this is a just a really rich podcast with a, a ton of practical stuff you can take away. I've linked up all of Gregory's uh, links and his new book in the show notes. And yeah, I hope you love episode 24. Let's jump in. so happy to have you talking to you. you know, I know we you know we share we share a men's group but with 50 guys in the group it's it's hard to get a lot of one-on-one time. And when I saw that you had written this book called The Masculine in Relationship, I was like, "What? I thought this guy was like a, a marketing executive." <laughs> so maybe you could give the give my listeners a little bit of background on how a how a successful marketing executive goes to write a, a, what is a beautiful book about the masculine in relationship. Mm. Yeah, it's the, these were lessons learned the hard way. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry to report. I, I was married for 10 years and um, that marriage ended in a pretty big ball of flames uh, in about the worst way that you would want things to end up uh, at a lot of levels. And I learned the hard way what not to do in relationship. And if you, you've read the preface of the book, and I, I speak very personally, you know, at the end of that marriage, I was emasculated. I don't like to say that, particularly in front of others, but it's the truth. And I spent most of my time avoiding her wrath and just contorting myself to try to, you know, quote, unquote, stay out of trouble. And that actually makes things worse. And I learned that the hard way. You know, fast forward as I um, uh, came out of the, the real rubble, uh, of, of that marriage. And I was a real wreck for a while, but as I came out of that, I got into a relationship with a very powerful woman and a very feminine woman. Uh, she was both at the same time and still is, there's no past tense. And um, she really called me forth. She called out my best and wouldn't settle for less. And it was in that crucible of real relationship that I actually started to learn what actually works. And then of course, in parallel, I was doing work with David Data. I started to do work with John. Uh, and some others. And so doing 
not only my individual work, but then really uh, having that laboratory of real, real relationship. Uh, it was great, uh, a great learning process for sure. And just the contrast between those two relationships, both with very powerful women, um, led me to start compiling the lessons that I had learned. And then when I got into this men's group that you and I are both in, I started to see the number of guys that were also in relationship with really strong women. Uh, and I've basically come to the conclusion that, that pretty much all women are strong women. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> yeah, you know. And, but I saw so many guys struggling because they all wanted to, they wanted to feel more in their power. And they, they didn't know how because their woman was just so powerful. So I saw this commonality between my own experience and then these other men, and it just really clicked for me that the things that I had learned that I could, I could share with others, hopefully for their benefit. And five years ago, the, the idea to write a book, uh, uh, you know, germinated. And uh, it's, it has, actually has <laughs> taken me that long to write, but I feel great about it because these are things, I'm not just writing about theory or talking about something I learned in a workshop. I would say without, without exception, everything in the book is something I'm living right now, or maybe a few anecdotes from people who are close to me. Uh, but most of it I've lived through, uh, I've put into real relationship to see if it works and uh, I felt confident enough to write about it. So that was the, the journey that I, that I went on that brings me to today. Yeah, um, just out of, out of curiosity, how did you, like you, I mean, you obviously were literally writing this, you know, in the evenings, it's obviously a personal reflection, but you have, you know, you have a full-time job as an executive. So, I mean, how did you make it work? Mm -hmm. You know, Travis, it starts with motivation and the depth of the pain I felt coming out of my marriage mm. is what drives me today. It, 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 this, this book had to come out. It had to come out of me. And so it was that fire um, that motivated me to work those mornings uh, before the kids get up, you know, late at night after everybody goes to bed, giving up weekends when you could go down and surf and instead you stay home and uh, write. And so I, I was very driven, uh, but it, you know, that was the fuel. The, my failure was my fuel to make this book happen. The other part of that is I do genuinely enjoy writing. I actually wrote a business book <laughs> 10 years ago, uh, on, on product management. And it's just, it's that, it's the, it's the um, identify, identification of themes and then coalescing them into, you know, a very distinct structure. I, I just genuinely enjoy that. And that was, that was the, how it worked for me this time. Just noticing themes or principles that, that seemed fundamental and then taking a million notes and then codifying those into the principles you see in the book. So the, so the book though, this is definitely not a business book. <laughs> you know, this is the masculine in relationship and, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a, a blueprint for inspiring the trust, love and devotion of a strong woman. So, I mean, there's, there's a trust, thousand, uh, trust, thousand. lust, trust, lust and devotion, trust, lust. And Oh, I misread that trust, yeah. lust and devotion. I love it. Cause um, we'll sell more to guys. If it says lust, you know, we'd sell true. more to women if it said love. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the the book though it does have a strong structure i've been through it um but there's i mean let's be honest man there's like a thousand relationship books out there yeah what's like what's the big difference yeah i'll i'll answer in the context of men's books yeah. um just to tighten the question a little bit but look most of the men's books i read fell into two categories 
vast majority of them were kind of like, you know, pick up your balls and be confident. And it, this sort of what I call <laughs> testosterone fueled proclamations and did not resonate with me at all and didn't speak to any, uh, anything on the inside, which is really where it's going to come from. They may have quoted behaviors that you should do, but essentially they were just screaming at you to pick up your balls and be more confident. So none of those were helpful. And uh, I, you know, I surveyed a lot of them to see what was out there. Um, there's some others that, um, without being specific, would <laughs> fall into the category of fuzzy spiritual guides, um, which are, are good at, at one level. And yet I see time and time again, men asking, okay, that's great, but just tell me what to do. <laughs> you know, what do I actually do? Um, and that's where this book comes from. This, this is about being in front of your woman and you've said something clumsy and it triggers her and she's fired up and the fire is in her eyes and she's looking at you and, and blaming you or otherwise having a very emotional reaction. And, it's, and what do you do? And that's the perspective that, I, that I've written this book from. So number one, it's very practical. It comes out of a lot of years. <laughs> of yeah, it does. Both, both the major relationships in my adult life uh, with those strong women uh, comes out of that experience. Uh, needless to say, I, I said a few things clumsy over those 20 years. Um, but more so, I tried to put it into a framework. And uh, again, in, in the context of what do I do? Um, so there's the three-part framework that, that I know you read about. Um, uh, yeah, I, the blue. I, I want to talk about that in a big way, man, because yeah. it's one of the best parts about the book. It's yeah. like, you've got this great framework, man. And, you know, but I, I, even there, you know, it could be a bit nebulous for guys. So maybe you can take us through this, um, this three-part model and, and, and break it down in a way that the guys can really understand it. Yeah. Yeah. For me in writing this book, it was very important to have some tangible framework. So that's what the blueprint is. It is a three-part framework that it's something that you can look through the lens of any action you take and say, am I being, uh, am I being responsive or am I operating out of choice or am I being reactive? Number one, am I providing structure? Number two, and then am I creating physical, financial, and emotional safety for my woman? So it's a lens through which you can look through really any action that you take. And so if we start at the beginning, respond versus react. Yeah, this is, this is straightforward. This is the ability to find your own groundedness, even in the face of her, uh, her anger, uh, being you know, scared of that anger, uh, her shaming you, telling you what you did wrong or criticizing you, you know, all the things that every guy goes through who's with a strong woman. It's just the nature of the beast. And uh, respond versus react is the ability to find your center and be grounded. And it's, it's, not a, um, it's not a mental choice. It's something that you have to, you have to really go deep. So, you know, the, the easiest way that I've found to describe this is, you know, what does reactive look like? You know, you can sort of, what are these behaviors that we can notice in ourselves? So if you're getting defensive uh, when she's criticizing you, then you're being reactive. Um, if you're withholding or changing your opinion based on how you, you feel her reacting, you're reactive. If you're withdrawing when you feel hurt, if you're getting angry when she shames you, if you are acting like a nice guy, um, if you're denying your own anger or fear, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on. Well, but, I mean, give me, an, give me an example of that, man. Like, tell me, tell me where that's showing up for you, maybe, since you've oh, got... You oh. know, 
for me, <laughs> it's defensiveness. This was the one I grappled with for so many years. And I'm not saying that I don't still do it at times, but I have a very different relationship to it. And defensiveness is, for me, I think it's the one that really hurts guys the most. Um, and it's the one that really kills her trust in you. It really, and I'll, I'll talk about this one later uh, when I talk about creating emotional safety. But defensiveness is something that is absolutely the best um, example of reactivity that I've had to grapple with. Um, and so respond versus react is about finding that space between the stimulus and your response. So Viktor Frankl, uh, who everybody probably knows who Viktor Frankl is, between stimulus and response, uh, there is a gap. And in that gap lies our freedom, I think is my best paraphrase of, of his quote. And that's what you're trying to find. You're trying to find that, that space within you, you can reside and these inputs can come in, but you aren't reacting to them. What you're doing, instead of reacting to her behavior, you're operating out of choice and intention. And I, I, I want to pause there for a second. Um, operating out of choice and intention. So living my life out of intention rather than reaction. And for me, I just, even as I hear myself say that, I just relax, like, because that's what I want. I want to live out of my intention rather than just reacting to everything around me. Yeah, which is, I mean, I love, I love the defensiveness piece. I mean, it's one of my favorite uh, activities is to, you know, defend, 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 especially mm -hmm. when I'm feeling, you know, under attack. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, Travis, the, the number one thing that happens when we're defensive is you can't feel her. And when right. she feels you not feeling her, it just gets worse. And uh, yeah, so that's the problem. So we, we share that, uh, that defensiveness. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad we, we got that. So, so then we've got this piece about providing structure. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, you and I have talked about this in our, you know, in our men's group, but this is not a, this is a tougher one. And I'd love yeah. to hear you lay it out for, for the guy, for my listeners here to really understand yeah. what does it mean to provide structure for a woman? Yeah. Yeah. This is one that it, it might sound a little uh, controversial um, as if we're supposed to tell our woman what to do. And it really is, is not that at all. In the book, I break down this, this chapter into uh, direction and structure. So they're both under the provide structure uh, category, but so there's direction and structure. So for me, direction is about decision-making and um, it's not about making the decisions in the relationship. It's about driving decisions, even if you don't necessarily make it. So the, the simple one that everybody of course understand is, you know, Hey, where do, where do you want to go tonight to eat dinner? I don't know. Where do you want to go? And then you just ping pong back and forth and your wife's like, okay, well fine. Here's where we're going. And it's, it's, the, it's the manifestation of a man who's not tapped into his own desire. Like, does this man know, know what he wants in any moment in life? Um, and that's where uh, providing direction in the relationship can really uh, help a lot. If you want your woman to relax into the feminine, don't make her make decisions. It doesn't mean she can't make decisions. It doesn't mean she's not qualified. But if you want her to relax into her feminine, to be playful and sweet, if you want her in that state, uh, you know, take the burden of the decision-making off of her. And whether that's you make the decision yourself or you whittle it down. So, for instance, instead of, uh, you know, in the example of going to dinner, uh, you don't have to say, okay, we're, you know, we're going to the steak place. You could say, when she says, where would you like to go? You'd say, you know what? 
you know, I'd like, how about A, B, and C? I actually called and they all have time at 7.30 for a reservation. Which one of those do you like, honey? So you just narrow the world down to three choices or two choices, or you might even say one choice. And, uh, but you're bringing her input in, you're factoring her input. So all you're doing is narrowing the uncertainty, you know, whether it be to a single choice or a set of options. So that's one way to provide, uh, provide direction. And I think the distinction you're making here is that, you know, you're not, you know, grabbing her by the arm and saying, let's just go here. It's, it's right. heart connected. You're connected. Cause I'm masculine and I'm going right. to, you, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to drag you off to the steak place, even though you don't even want to eat steak. Right. Um, yep. It's exactly that. But you want to know the funny thing, Travis, at the same time, every once in a while, she loves it when you say, baby, put on that red dress. I'm taking you out. Oh, where are we going? I'll let you know, put on the red dress, be ready at seven 30. And so it's that, it's that dance of when do I really set strong direction and when am I inclusive? And you could do it, <laughs> it's all circumstantial. You do it in one, in one case and it can fall flat. You can do the same thing a day later in different contexts and different energy. And it's like catnip for her when you, when you set that level of direction. So um, there's, no necessarily, there's, there's not necessarily a playbook here. Um, it's an art for sure. It's yeah, there's, art. there's, it sounds like there's some real art to it, man. Cause I, I mean, uh, you could, you could, and, and will, and I certainly have, you know, fallen flat on my face doing some of this stuff, but that doesn't mean it's not valuable. It just means I'm mm -hmm. learning yeah, how to, exactly. you know, how to, how to be in a, in a really, in a really good masculine, healthy masculine position yeah. with my woman. Yeah. Um, can I uh, tell you a little anecdote around I'd that? I love, yeah, man. I love stories. Yeah, we were, my woman and I, we traveled to Amsterdam, but she actually traveled from another country and I hadn't seen her in I think four weeks. So we were meeting in Amsterdam, but I hadn't seen her in four weeks, as I said, and we hadn't been in a ton of contact. Um, so there was some reconnection that needed to happen. But as I was coming in from the airport on the taxi, I called her and, I, and we chatted for a few seconds. And I said, baby, put on that black dress, meet me at the wine bar down the road. And you know, I've done that before and it worked great. She loved it, but we weren't connected enough because we hadn't seen each other in four weeks. And so that same thing that worked in another context actually fell flat and she didn't like it. And then, I, and then it's like, oh, okay, that's awkward. Um, so it really is contextual. And I would say the level of direction and leadership that you provide in your relationship that she allows you to provide, or, or rather a better way to put that is that she allows herself to follow that lead is directly connected to how uh, connected the two of you are. And that's I think a really key distinction. It's such a good distinction to make too. It's, it's, I think what I'm hearing you say is like, it's not just you do this. It's I'm, I'm feeling like this thing should happen. Let me, let me, let me, let me offer it to you. Yeah. And, you know, but you're, you're actually feeling her and you to use your language. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You hit it on the head. And then as you offer it, uh, it's really an invitation, right? You're offering your invitation and she either accepts it or she doesn't. And you can, you can actually take, you can take her yes and her no based on that and still remain open to her. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the art of it. Not collapsing into your, into your rejection of exactly. you know, putting on the black dress and she's like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. And you're like, yeah, exactly. oh, well, you never want to do what I want to do. <laughs> exactly. I'm never going to lead you again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you hit it on the head, so you get it. Um, so what about, other, what, about, what about the, um, what about safety though? I mean, this well, is an let interesting me, one. 
Bef- yeah, before I move to that, I just, I'll just i talk about the other half of that that I mentioned oh, yeah. was, yeah, yeah, was yeah, yeah, structure. Yeah. So structure is, um, it's not about, the, it's not sort of what you're going to do or the decisions that are going to be made, but it's sort of the, you're, you're setting up the container in, in which it's made. So the best example that it comes to mind is just, one thing I'll do is, is establish that every month on a certain day, my woman and I sit down and we have a relationship talk, you know, and I'm not dictating what comes out of that talk or how she should be or anything like that, but I am putting it scheduling the container and then getting her enrolled to join me in that once a month. And that's, that's also, you know, another way to quote unquote provide structure in the relationship. It's sort of the, it's not the, what we do, but it's the, how we do things. And it's really powerful. And this is a, this is a key part of masculine leadership. And, and I, I like the way you put it. It's, it's not dictatorial, but it provides enough boundary. And, um, you know, I gave this advice to a client who was looking at planning a family holiday mm-hmm. and it's not really, he's not really good at it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, to follow, follow David data's advice, like let the person who's good at the thing do it, but mm-hmm. there's still an opportunity. He's like, well, how do I provide structure? And so I, I remember the, the guidance I gave him was, well, what you should do or what you could do is offer her, you know, say, hey, we've got 10 grand to spend mm-hmm. and here's, here's a geographic boundary or here's kind of a flight duration boundary. Yeah. And, and then let her play in yeah. that. Yeah. There's like structure that. without being a dictator. Like instead yeah. of like, we're going to Amsterdam, we're going this <laughs> time and here, like, it's like, hey, we've got, we've got $10,000. I want this to be a beautiful trip. You're, the, you're way better at planning beautiful trips than I am. Here's the budget and here's the, you know, the, the general uh, range of flights. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. And I, I like the example you gave because um, my woman, she's great at logistics, like thinking through logistics and she's, she's actually better than me. Um, and so I will, the structure I'll provide is, all right, baby, let's pause for a second. Okay. You're really good at thinking this through. We've got to accomplish A, B, and C, you know, how do you think we should do this? And so I'm actually prompting her to provide some direction, but my prompt is the structure in which she can exercise something that, like you said, she's better at than me. Um, so, and that's really important for guys, you know, again, to, it's not, as you said, dictatorial you're just you're just providing some structure for her gifts to shine as well right uh, uh, yeah it's a it is it is an important piece but I, it's you know because this could be could, can be a controversial piece it's important to create a distinction around it like it's not yeah you're not, you're not kind of saying this is exactly what we're gonna have to happen except when you need to yeah exactly and i love that you you focused on this because it is a larger theme of the blueprint which is this blueprint doesn't take anything away from feminine power. It, it successfully coexists. And I think that's what in today's world, that's what a lot of guys are wondering is, you know, how do I, how can I be in my own power and not be considered a misogynistic asshole? And so that's what the blueprint tries to accomplish is, is it gives you that framework, but it doesn't take anything away from, from your powerful woman. Yeah. And that's the part that is, I think, I think it's the hardest part about bringing in, what I believe is just hard truth in your book and making mm-hmm. it real. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah. So wh- what about, what about safety? Is that always, is it a good time to go there now? Yeah. Yeah. Cause this one is. is, this one to me and I, I read it and you know, it's, it's like, well, what does that mean? Is this like caveman safety? Like I've got a big club or you know, what's, <laughs> what's, exactly. what's the idea behind safety here? 
Yeah. Well, safety breaks down into physical, financial, and emotional. And I don't, I actually consciously don't go into physical and financial. Actually, those will be covered in the sequel. Um, but I do focus on emotional a lot, but let's just look at each briefly. So physical really is protector and provider. And so in the protector role, you know, she needs to know that if, you know, somebody challenges you on the street, like a mugger, that you can protect her. And I think that's the obvious. And so a man to, you don't have to be Superman, but to have uh, developed some self-defense skills is something that's going to make her feel a lot safer. And I think, I think most people get that. But it also, you know, it's not just, you know, protecting her from attackers. Um, let's say you live in Florida and you know that hurricanes are coming, and, but you haven't prepared. You haven't bought a generator. You haven't put water in the garage. You haven't uh, purchased plywood so that if the hurricane comes, you can board up the windows. So, you know, these are things in your protector role to protect her from natural uh, threats uh, is something that falls into that. Um, an example from my own life is that uh, my woman, and she and I don't live together uh, yet, but if she's out late with her friends and, and coming home late, I insist that she texts me when she gets home so that I know she got home safely. It's not open loop. And she loves that because it's me, even though I'm, I'm you know, at a distance, I am checking in with her and making sure that she's okay. Because if I don't get the text, then maybe I you know, would need to take an action. So these are things that you can all do as a man and, 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 and make her feel physically safe. Uh, financial safe, it's a lot about being a provider. And, you know, the two things that I would offer your listeners is, is number one, you know, if you're, if you're constantly starting, you know, projects, you know, side projects or working for speculative companies um, or, you know, you putting your money into these speculative investments that you're not actually doing the due diligence, you know, you're not a provider. You're, you're actually, you're responsible. And um, there's a man that you and I both know that will go nameless whose wife you know, constantly says to him, like, what's your plan? Because he's trying to do uh, two other things <laughs> that don't make a lot of money for him. And she, yeah. she's constantly on edge. And he, he confided that to me. And, um, you know, my counsel to him was, look, these other things are great. And I know you're following your heart. But if you're not, if you're not providing, bud, you know, she's not going to feel safe. So that's, um, that's the provider role. Now, the flip side of that that, that guys also fall into. And I, shoot, I did this in my marriage. Is you over identify with that? And so you work so hard and, and you tell yourself, well, I'm providing, you know, so it's okay that I'm distracted at home and on my phone or working too late. And you over identify with the provider role. And that actually, you know, has its own uh, pitfalls that I think, you know, most people understand. Well, that, I mean, yeah, I, I resonate with that a hundred percent. That was like my favorite play when my, um, when my, my wife and I had our first daughter, mm -hmm. it yeah. was like, Oh, okay. We got this, we got a, we got a little baby now. So I'll just, I'll just go make money and everything's yeah, good. Right. Exactly. And, and then you get, it's, it's not, it's not good. <laughs> you wonder why it doesn't work. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's yeah. great that I'm making money and you know, and you know, of course you got to provide. Yeah. Um, I think this is a, this is an important, another important distinction for uh, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's younger men but there is a lot of stuff out there on the internet about like, follow your purpose, follow your dreams. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And by all means, I, I agree. I, and I think what you're saying, and I think this is an important one for younger listeners to hear is have a baseline, 
Like maybe don't, you know, or if you're, if you're trying to be with a strong woman, maybe, maybe you're not, maybe you're just happy being on your own and you're going to go, you know, try to start work, the next off. Or, yeah. whatever, or whatever your thing is. And you're going to take mm-hmm. on a whole bunch of risky stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to attract someone, you know, a, a strong woman, it's, you know, maybe it's that maybe you have a, you, you've got a job that's good, that you don't maybe love, but it's paying your bills and you, you hustle just like you did with this book, man. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you, I, I know you like your job, but you are willing to hustle on the side to pursue something mm-hmm. instead of quit your day job and, you know, just pursue your dreams. Well, you might not really attract you know, a woman who's <laughs> <laughs> super strong. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. It's like Maslow's hierarchy. If you don't have the the more basic levels handled, you you just you're not going to you shouldn't be moving up to the to the higher. I think it's the higher levels. I think you go up yeah, Maslow's yeah. hierarchy. Um, and so yeah, if you're not providing and you're not making your woman feel like you guys are you're good enough financially, she doesn't give a shit about all this other stuff you're doing. She doesn't care at all. She won't feel safe. It's it's, it's meaningless. Um, yeah. And. Now here's, I think this one is uh, a third part of, of the safety pieces about emotional safety. And I'd love for you to break that down because yeah. I think it's really misunderstood. And, yeah. I, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. You've thought about this and, you know, been in it yourself. Yeah, I think, I think the, some of the things that I've experienced that make my woman feel emotionally unsafe is when I deny her experience. You know, if she's upset, let's say she's upset with me about something and I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, like, no, you know, she feels like her experience is being denied and you just can't do that. It, it leaves her feeling very emotionally unsafe. So that's one. I think when I leave her on her own to handle something she's not very good at, she feels unsafe. And I, you know, I did that a lot to my ex-wife and, you know, where I really made her, cause I was working so much. So I thought it was, fine, you know, to leave her to do the vacation planning, the taxes and call the plumber. And she could do all that. I mean, she's very competent woman. And, uh, but she felt a little abandoned. And then if it's something that she's not very good at, like for my current woman, uh, you know, taxes, like she's, my woman's a genius in her field, (laughs) but taxes baffle her. And so when I don't really step in and help her with that, she feels abandoned and feels emotionally unsafe. Um, if I'm indecisive, she feels that. Um, and if I'm not present, she feels emotionally unsafe. So, you know, those are some of the examples um, that, that come up for me. And, and um, you know, the wrong ways that, well, let me say first, when she feels emotionally unsafe, and I, I'm sure you experience this too, as all guys oh, yeah. do, that's when she goes the most nuts. And that's usually when she's, she's, exhibiting behavior that you and I, you know, either privately or openly call crazy. That's, that's right. Yes. <laughs> right. You you're know? acting crazy. Yeah. You're acting crazy, baby. She, and it's, it's not rational and logical. And, you know, that's when she, you know, starts to shame you and tell you all the things you did wrong and then wrap together four different issues in a way that you can't untangle. And that's when it gets the hardest. And what I've both seen, but quite frankly, I've done it myself a lot is the wrong ways to handle it. And that is to either go into a free state or go, you know, kind of go the road of, you know, I, you just need to calm down, which uh, is never successful. <laughs> um, or you collapse, you know, you just kind of like profusely apologize and retreat from your opinions and all that. Um, and then there's the biggest one, uh, defensiveness. And we talked a little bit about that before, but you know, I go into the, in the book, I go into defensiveness a lot. Um, 
one, because I think it's juicy, and two, because as I said, it's my Achilles heel. <laughs> but defensiveness is interesting because here's how I characterize it. You, you, she is saying something, and then you get this grand idea in your head of like, oh, oh, she just misunderstands these few facts. And if I would correct those facts, she won't be mad at me anymore. And so then you go into your defensiveness, like, no, 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 baby. And you try to use information to change her viewpoint so that she'll stop being mad. And of course, we all know defensiveness rarely ever works. And what, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to counter emotion with information. And that's asymmetrical. You can't do that. When she's coming at you in an emotion, you can't correct it with information. And so that's, again, that's why you know, defensiveness is um, never effective. So in the book, and, and stop me if, I'm, if this is too much of a monologue, Travis, but, but in the book, I've got you know, some of the approaches and I break it down. And one of the, one of the most important pieces of uh, advice that I give in the book is to hear her pain, not the blame. Because she's gonna be blaming you. It's just, it's just inevitable. And that's triggering for all guys. And the thing that you have to do is one, find that groundedness, you know, respond versus react, and then see through the blame and really actually hear that she's just in pain. Like your woman is in pain. If you know, if your eight year old daughter were in pain, you, you wouldn't get defensive. You'd be like, Oh baby, how can I fit? You know, how can I help her? You know, just tell me what's wrong. But when your woman is, is, is uh, in that space, it's a little bit different. So, for your action to be able to hear her pain and not the blame for me is one of the most powerful things that I try to do. And the more I embody that, wow, it just like everything gets better just from that one thing that I do. I, I, I love that. It's a beautiful soundbite, right? I mean, you know, hear the, hear the pain, not the blame. Yeah. Um, it's hard, right? Cause we want to, as soon as, as soon as you're feeling under attack and you know, you and I have the same <laughs> calling card, it sounds like I'm like, no, no, yeah. but I was, I was just trying to, I just, Oh, yeah, you don't but, understand. I was, the bus was late. And, <laughs> there's exactly. so many, so many things. Um, you know, I, this, the, as I said, you know, it's, it's, I love that you've got a, a three-part structure, mm -hmm. you know, respond versus react, provide structure and creating safety. Now, I think that, the, you know, the, the question on my mind, and I'm, I'm guessing some of my listeners is like, well, okay, if I do this, like, what's the payoff? And I, mm -hmm. I think you talk about it, but you say here, you know, it, it allows your woman to relax into her natural feminine state. So like, what's, cause it's a bunch of men, like what's the payoff? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the question, isn't it? Why am I, why am I doing this? <laughs> why would I do all these things? Greg? Yeah, exactly. Why the hell am I even in relationship? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. When, when my woman is in her feminine, she's soft. I get her smile and, you know, and there's just something about your woman's smile when she's smiling at you and she's in that space with you. It's like a, it's like a drug. It is like a drug. And, um, she's playful and um and most importantly of course for all guys most importantly like she wants to open her body to me not that it's all about sex i'm just i'm sort of giving the eye candy for for men um but that's the state i love her in she's soft she's playful she's approving like i hate to say it but it's it's true like you know she just i feel approved of i feel like you know i'm a good person when she's in that space and uh, and she surrenders and lets me lead without 
you know, criticizing me or second guessing me and um, all that feels good. It's fun. It's fun to be in that space with your woman. Things get a lot easier, a lot more rewarding. Well, and I, and I, I mean, I've, I've certainly felt it. I know, I know most men have, have felt that at one point. I think what you're offering here is if you, and, and I mean, in my case before it was just happened by accident. Mm-hmm. Like I d- didn't even really know I'd done anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now you're saying, well, this is like, this is kind of how you can create that more often for yourself yeah. and for her. Like the yep. pay, it's not a, a totally self-serving book. This is like, you're, you're serving both of you in a relationship. And I think that's the misunderstood piece. Cause this could sound like, oh, well, this allows a man to get what he wants, which is, you know, ultimately just sex. Yeah. It's, it's not. And I, I think that's, what's beautiful about this book is you put it in a way that helps, you know, a man or a woman reading this thing to go, oh, yeah, that is actually what I want in relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when hearing you say that, Travis, I've been sort of, I'm dropping down into a really um, heartful place about what you're saying. And look, I, I saw the pain that my kids went through because of my divorce. And it tears me up inside even to this day, you know, years later. Um, you know, they, they've turned out fine, but you know, that was a hard period and I hated having to impose that on them, my failure in, in marriage on them. This is about saving families. This is about saving relationships and families. And if I could save, you know, thousands of kids from having to go through what I went, what I put my kids through, um, because mom and dad actually figured out that there were some things that they could do to fall back in love again. There's some things that they could do to uh, soften to each other and remain together as a, as a complete family like that. That's the payoff for me. And so you're right there. It's, this is not about the men. It just starts with the men. And that actually is one of the key points. I actually, I repeat myself a few times in the book, but I say you may or may not be the problem of any particular situation, but you are the solution. And, and I'm speaking to masculine leadership there, which is the whole book is about not waiting for her to change, not waiting for her to be different, but actually saying, you know what, I'm going to be the one to lead us out of this, this fight and into a better place. I'm going to lead us, lead us, uh, be the one to lead us out of kind of the sexless or the low sex phase we're in. And what can I do to really bring her from her emotional state into, uh, you know, um, one where she's more open and, and we're both feeling fulfilled. That's masculine leadership. And that's what the book is about. And it's about saying, man, I don't know if I'm the cause of this fight, but I'm going to lead us out of it. I'm going to be the one to get bigger and lead us out of this. Well, and, and what you say is, you know, she'll only change when, when you actually change. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, a key point. I mean, I like that you're saying maybe it's not you, but I, I mean, you and I, you and I have been in the men's work world long enough and, and seen enough that it, it's nine times out of 10. It's, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably true. <laughs> um, probably and, true. And, but to, you know, to take leadership is to, to create the change in yourself you know, provide, as you said, provide structure for the relationship mm-hmm. that allows her, if she even needs to, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's, you know, nothing, nothing there to change. And yeah. And I, th- I think, you know, taking on the, you may or may not be the problem, but you are the solution is really empowering for a guy because they stop waiting for this something, you know, I think that's what we kind of do. We'll retreat and be like, well, just come back to me when you're calmer, baby. You know, you stop waiting for somebody else to be the solution 
And I think that's a real mental shift when you, when you realize that you're not going to wait and you're going to do something and not rely on her to change. Um, so yeah, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a bedrock principle. Um, you know, she'll change when your way of being is different. Um, well, yeah. let's, let's say more about that. Okay. So she'll change when your way of being is different because mm-hmm. that's also at the core of this book. This is not like necessarily the playbook. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, taking this three-part framework and going, am I embodying this? Yeah. Yeah. Embodiment's the word, right? Yeah. I, we didn't talk about it at all. And you and I know this because we do a lot of this in our men's program, but embodiment and getting more into your body. And I, I know that's come, become a bit of a cliche, um, but I, I don't think, I guess it's, I don't see people out there explaining why that really helps. And I do try to give my perspective on that in the book and really go into like, what is embodiment? And, you know, when I'm getting reactive and going into my stories and being defensive, like I'm in my head and what's in my head is a bunch of stories about what's happening. I'm confused. And so I have to create a story to sort of make sense of that confusion. And then I, you know, I get other stories about, you know, then she did this while back and she's probably doing that again. And why is she being so unreasonable? You know, it's all stories. And the thing about embodiment and, and, you know, body-based practices, breathing, movement, martial arts, you know, what it does is it brings you into your, into your body. And then basically when your attention's on your body, it just crowds out the thoughts. It crowds out the stories. You know, your attention has finite capacity. And so to be, doing something physical just basically means there's just no space left for the stories. That's amazing. When the stories go away, I'm more grounded, you know? And so it's not so much something you do in the moment, uh, but it's something that you build up uh, over time. So it's like going to the gym once and doing curls won't make your biceps stronger, but doing it for six months will absolutely make it stronger. And the embodiment, I talk about a few embodiment exercises, um, you know, do those for six months, you will fundamentally become more grounded. And so what I would say is for any man, do even a 15 minute embodiment practice every morning and you'll be amazed. It'll, it will magically change you. And I, I use the word magically intentionally. It'll seem like magic and it just happens and you will be more grounded. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm aligned with you on that. I spent three hours, um, leading my men's group last night through breath practice. And we, yeah. I think maybe we exchanged about a hundred words in three hours. That's and awesome. That, you know, guys, guys left wordless, mm-hmm. but you know, I, they, they, they felt really deep and they felt really good. And you know, we, we breathed and we moved around and you know, a bunch of stuff happened and no one needed to do a bunch of cognitive processing, which, yeah. I think gets in the way and, and, and in your book, what I love about this is it's, it's a, it's a beautiful access point because yes, the, the, you know, the mind can be a great gateway into the body. So reading mm-hmm. your book can go, okay, this is, this is, this is great. I've got a framework for it, but then it's the being part. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you, how do you become this? Yeah. And it's not going to happen by reading the book three times. Yeah. I'm so glad you made that point. It's, it's true. It's it meant, you know, for all men, You've got to work on this over time. You can't read a book to get the secrets. And you can you can read a book that can point you in the right direction, right? Which this is, um, and you know, thankfully we we've got it um, and it's available. So there's a couple other things to talk about in the book that I think are are important, and they've become, I think they've gotten a bit muddy. And mm-hmm. one of them is is 
archetypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe you could break that down for us. I know we don't have, you know, four hours for a podcast, but, you know, maybe you could give us kind of the Cole's notes on these archetypes that get mistaken for the masculine. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. This is actually one of my favorite parts of the book. So um, I think the the first archetype that people mistake for masculine is, is somebody is just simply physically imposing. You know, you see these guys and they, they just, they just look rugged and that's great. I mean, you know, we're all jealous. We, we all wish we looked like that. And sometimes you meet those guys and it doesn't take a whole lot of time that to see in some cases they can still have a weak energy. So being physically imposing doesn't necessarily give you the propensity for the, the traits in the, in the blueprint. And uh, I've seen guys who I've met for five minutes and after I heard them talk, um, realized that you could, you could feel the weakness underneath. And if I can feel it, sure as hell the women can feel it. So that's the first archetype that sometimes gets mistaken. Um, I, you know, that kind of guy, what he does, ha- his masculine energy often comes from the fact that because they were physically imposing, they didn't experience a lot of resistance in life. And so they just built up the mindset. Well, I've met guys who are five foot four who did Krav Maga for 10 years and also created that mindset, but they were little dudes, but they occurred to me as very powerful. So it's really about mindset, uh, uh, in terms of that like true masculine power. Um, the second archetype is uh, the guy, he's just, he's so tight, you know, like um, he walks tight. He looks like he's marching, you know, almost. And he just, he feels really bunched up, but he's kind of a, he's got that kind of that tough guy persona, but he, he's really, you know, he's, it's, it's hard to get to know him um, because he's just, he's so tight and doesn't let anybody in. Um, and that's another archetype that can be mistaken for masculinity. Um, the third is sort of the, the asshole slash alpha male. And these are the guys that um, they do what they want and they rise to the top, probably because they're either more physically imposing or they're just smart, aggressive, you know, they, through personality and, and they've earned it through these traits. Um, but they're not necessarily somebody that inspires other people. And so what I've found, if you, if you, you can actually map these to the, to the framework, Mm. Um, the guy who is tight, um, he, he only manifests, Oh, uh, sorry. I'm going to back up. There's the fourth, there's, there's a, there's a fourth type of, of guy that it's supposedly the new age masculine where he kind of wears it on his sleeve and he's like, I'm more evolved than you. You know, I'm, I'm more of a man because I'm more of an evolved man than you. And he kind of wears it on his sleeve a little bit. And he's, he's trying to one up everybody, almost repudiating masculinity, but he thinks he's the new masculine. So if you look at these archetypes, the guy that's tight, he over identifies with respond versus react. He's so tight that he doesn't react to anything. And that's the, that's the thing he responds to. Um, the, um, the alpha or the asshole, they over identify with, uh, create structure you know, because they're trying to control everybody and dominate everybody. So they over identify with that one trait. And then you get the, the new age guy who way over identifies with create safety. You know, he's, he's trying to be so evolved that he's, you know, safe for, for everybody. And um, none of those feel real. None of those feel like real, the real masculine to me. You have to embody all three traits and not over identify with any one. So that's how the different archetypes that are mistaken for masculinity, you know, map into different parts of the blueprint. It's uh, I love how you mapped it back. I especially, 
I think a, a lot of what I see is the is the second one. I think the second one, which is around this this kind of you know nobody nobody gets let in, and it's and people say, well, I'm it's it's stoicism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, that one gets mixed up a lot. This mm-hmm. idea, I'm, I'm stoic, and it's like, well, it's not really the way stoic philosophy or you know kind of came about. Stoic mm-hmm. people are very open. Yeah, they're just they're just a little more grounded and choosy about when they want to engage in something. But when they do yep. engage, there's engagement and it's open and it's yeah. heartfelt. And that's the problem for a woman is, is a guy that is over identifying, identifying on respond versus react. She can't feel him and he could be handsome and, and cool and powerful and rich. But at some point she's just like, dude, I can't feel you. And she's not going to open to that guy over the long term. That's and I, you know, I like how you made that distinction in the book too, about, you know, it sure it helps if you're, you know, six feet tall and, and beautiful and you know, all that and you make <laughs> mm-hmm. money. But I agree with you. And especially, you know, you in, in the world of, of men's work, you, you go to workshops and you meet, you come across guys who on the surface, I mean, there's, there's you know, a couple of guys in, in our group that I've, I've even told, I'm like, man, I would follow you anywhere. And these are guys that are you know, they wouldn't be picked out to, you know, to be the GQ model mm-hmm. by any stretch. And they're, you know, they're not making a million bucks, but man, they're grounded and man, they're present and man, they attract beautiful women. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's funny you talked, you, you mentioned that because a lot of guys will ask me, not just me, they just ask in general, you know, do I have to be an asshole to get beautiful women? Because I see these guys who are dickheads and they're really with these beautiful women. And my response is, it's, you know, their assholeness will wear off. What they're, what they're, but they're willing to put up with it, at least for a certain amount of time, because the asshole or the alpha, they live by their own code. And women will put up with a lot of, a lot of uh, other negative traits to get a hit of a guy who lives by his own code. So it's no, you don't have to be an asshole, but you do need to distill out that part where they live by their own set of rules, by their own code. I like that distinction, man. I've not heard that before. Um, I think it's, I think it's profound. So you, you kind of, you identify, you know, like that guy's a real dick. And so what is it about him? So I, you know, I don't want to, but oh, but he, you know, part of what part of what's the good the good in him and the part that i really identify with is the fact that this guy's got his own code i like the way you put that yeah i do uh, I, I i write about it uh, um uh about um approval seeking behavior and um write a lot about you know coaching the men to notice the ways that you are scanning the other person what they say their facial gestures Um, you know, how much they engage or don't engage. And you're constantly scanning to see if you're getting that quote unquote approval. Now you're not consciously doing that. You think we all think that we don't do that, but sometimes we do. And then what, if we fall prey to that, we're in every moment, we're kind of making micro adjustments to get the kind of reaction that we think is approval from the other person. So we're constantly doing those little adjustments of our way of being. And that's what the asshole doesn't do. And Women can feel that. Women can feel that. And so, you know, the advice here is like, you know, don't, is not to just go live by your own code because that's not totally operationalizable. But it is notice the ways where you course correct based on 
you know, trying to sense into the other person's approval. Notice it and simply noticing it, it'll go down, it's power over you will go down by 50% and then you can work on the other 50% separately. So that's where I co coach men to start with that. Notice yourself scanning the other person. I, I love that as a practice. I mean, that's something that I've been working on um, for sure. Yeah, me too. Fucking me too, love man. approval, man. Approval's the best. <laughs> Doesn't that I mean it feels so good? Everyone likes me. Yeah. Um, but man, exactly. it um, it's 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 a tough edge. But I think, uh, as far as my listener base, like a lot of a lot of guys are going to resonate with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, cool. And that, I like hearing and, that. And not, not that we're not that we're going to stop seeking it, but as you said, you know, the awareness part of it, you can at least start to cut it. Yeah. What I try to do is just I notice myself doing it, and I kind of laugh at myself. Instead of stopping myself from doing it, I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay, I, I'm doing it. All right, Gregory, I, you know, I'm doing it. Here I go again. <laughs> there's, that, there's that thing. Um, yeah. So I do want to talk about another thing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this, this, book is, this book is not just about, you know, relationship in terms of let's get along and make house. But, you know, what about the bedroom? Ah, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, this is, this is something that if, if you really want, as you said, you know, you want a woman to relax into her feminine state, part of that's going to be about the bedroom. And, and so yeah. I think a lot of men are, they misunderstand, like, what might this, you know, part of this blueprint look like there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I give um, too many frameworks on sexual leadership. And that's, that's really what we're talking about, leadership in the sexual domain. And it's up to you. Well, women, let's see, how do I say this? Let me, let me start back. I'll roll it back. Leadership in the sexual domain. You know, a lot of guys are in relationship where sex is sort of faded into the background, you know? And I, I remember for me, uh, <laughs> at the end of my marriage, I, di I didn't really understand exactly what was happening in the moment, but, you know, I saw this article and it said it was about low sex marriages and it said, if you're having sex once a month, you are in a low sex marriage. And I said to myself, wow, once a month, that sounds pretty good. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we weren't having any sex. She had closed her body to me. And if you are not uh, in your masculine groundedness, if you are not providing at least some level of leadership to the relationship, she will close her body to you. It's inevitable. It's not inevitable in relationship. It's inevitable in relationship where you're abdicating that masculine role, because that means she has to go into it. And when she is, she's typically not going to open her body to you. And so what I, you know, what I'd want to impart on men is if things have gotten a little frigid, which I can empathize with, lead her into a different space. You can uh, bring her back into her body, bring her back into her sexual nature. It's not irretrievably lost. So like other advice that I give, don't wait for her to quote unquote, start feeling sexual you can actually do a few things to lead her into that. And I actually give, uh, I'm embarrassed to say I have to count them now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> I give a nine you know, point framework around things you can do to set the container mm -hmm. within which she can flourish into her sexuality. So um, dealing with the timing of sexuality, uh, setting up, I'll only explain a few of these, but setting up the environment uh, is number two. And let me give an example there. You know, if you just think you and your wife are going to tumble into bed and the room is, you know, it's kind of cold in the room and you, you know, the, the, you either turn the lights off or just one light is on. It's not very beautiful light. Like 
don't expect her to be in her sexual nature. Like when I want to be sexual with my woman, I, you know, I turn the heat up, I light some candles, I get the music going so that when she walks in, she can go into her sensual body because the environment is right. And that's something that's on you to set up. Create the environment that is one part of that container into which her sexuality can flourish. Uh, heart connection is the next one. If, again, if you're coming, you know, coming to bed at the end of a long day and you both are exhausted and you, you haven't talked much because you were, uh, you know, you were busy and all you had was informational exchanges, like don't expect her to be sexual. You know, create a heart connection first. You know, before you get into bed, you know, do whatever exercise you need to do, create a heart connection uh, before expecting, you know, any sexuality. Um, so timing, environment, heart connection, Presence, praise, uh, owning your sexuality, edginess, and attunement. These are, these are nine things that I go into that, that separate from your first sexual advance, you can set up that I guarantee will move her closer to her, to her sexual body than if you don't do these things. Um, and then I go through um, a, another list of, I don't know if they're techniques, but they're things that you can do before actual sexual contact. So foreplay throughout the day, slow movements, kissing, eye gazing, breath, sensual touch, sensation play, restraint, dirty talk. These are all things you can do before there's any overt sexuality to warm up her body. And so, you know, to apply your, your masculine leadership to the sexual domain, you know, a lot of it is about number one, creating the container, which is what I talked about first, and then warming her up skillfully. And so that last list I gave is all the things you can do to warm up her body before you get to overt sexuality. So, you know, when men come to me and say, you know, we barely have sex, I say, okay, what are you going to do about it? And here's, here's a list of things that you can do. And I, I like that you give, you give the list. I mean, there's, it's like you've given the structure and now it's up to the men that read this to, to make the art out of it. You know, decide, like maybe you try a certain emoji when you send a text and maybe it fails. Maybe, yep. the egg, maybe the eggplant water emoji was not the right one, Ooh, nice. right? Whatever it is, you know, <laughs> yeah. but the, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's true though. And, and there's, um, you know, a guy in our group that's had, that's been on this podcast before, uh, Blake Zeller is, he's famous for, he's like, well, you know, are you, are you as, as the masculine partner, are you seducing? You know, mm -hmm. he says, yeah. always be seducing. He's like, yeah. you know, try that. See, try it for like a day, every glance that you give, it's heart connected, but it's, there's something maybe mysterious or seductive. Um, and it's, and it, it's, and see what happens. Yep. That's um, the I exact think, right word. I think the part here that's hard is that this actually takes work and leadership. Mm -hmm. and so Encourage. You're calling on men. Yeah. You're calling on men to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sexuality is very vulnerable for both people. And so if you are feeling, anxious or shamed or kind of like disapproved by her, it's probably likely that you're either A, not going to initiate sexuality at all, uh, and B, most certainly not skillfully and patiently. Um, so it does take courage to fight through some of those feelings, those negative feelings that you may not have repaired to then lead in sexuality. Well, and, and I mean, and you've provided a blueprint for leading in all aspects of relationship. I mean, this is, this is um, like a manifesto, if you will. I mean, 
you know, I, I love, you know, and you and I share two common teachers in David Data and John Wineland and the way mm-hmm. of superior man is, is tried and tested. There's yeah. parts of it that are esoteric and <laughs> yogic. And, yeah. you know, the, uh, the, I love the word, you know, the blueprint here, which is what you're giving. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm inspired by it, Gregory, because it took a lot of courage for you to actually write this. Part of it is about, you know, d- diving deep into your own failures around this mm-hmm. stuff and your own lessons learned. Yeah. But more importantly, you're talking about this element of masculinity that just seems to get pushed aside, or it seems to be like shunned in, in many cases, like, oh, we well, can't, you, you can't be leaving or, you know, t- telling a woman what needs to happen next. Right. We're all equals. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. we're all, let's just, let's just drift into the neutral zone where we all kind of just do everything. And uh, I, I love that you've kind of taken it by the reins and, and provided clarity around it. So it's not mm-hmm. just a bunch of internet memes, but there's like real meat and clarity. Um, I think what I'd love to do is to be able to tell my listeners a little bit more about how they can actually get a hold of the book, where they can go to find out more about you. Um, you're doing some great work. Where do, where do people go to find out about the book? Yeah, you can, well, most certainly go to Amazon, where it is for sale. If you want to find about more about me and my work, go to gsyoungblood.com. Okay. That's I'll my link. website. Yeah, and, uh, and then there's also the Masculine in, in Relationship Facebook group, which I've just started, um, which you can check out. The, the, the idea will be starting conversation between men in relationship. You know, guys bringing their problems and getting advice either from me or from some of the other men, uh, specifically for men in, you know, more serious relationships. I, I like that. Um, I love that you've got a group around this stuff because part mm-hmm. of it is like, as you're going through and trying stuff in the book, like, you know, you're going to fall flat on your face, just like I have. And, you know, I'm sure you have before. And <laughs> yeah. How do you, where do you go to find people? So I'm going to, I'm going to link all this, all of your notes up in, um, in the show notes for this page. I'll make sure people know where to find you. Um, and yeah, I'm, I so appreciate you making time for this. And I really appreciate the five years that you've invested in writing the book and the, you know, the couple decades that you mm-hmm. invested in, in learning all this stuff and helping guys out. So um, thank you for embodying everything in this book and, and for bringing us a different flavor on the Men at Work podcast. Yeah, Travis, I love the work that you're doing and I'm grateful for you having me on. So thanks. It's right. fun. Thank you, Gregory. All right. Okay, we'll, we'll kill it there. That's it for episode 24 with Gregory Youngblood. As you can see, uh, you know, this former executive's got a lot more to him than just his business skills. It's a really, really quality read. I'd encourage anyone who's interested at all in picking it up. You know, it's it has some super practical stuff in there that Gregory's learned from his life and from, you know, his own development. Him and I work with the same teacher. And if you want to know more about him, Of course, everything is linked up in the show notes for you all. Okay, if you like this episode, again, I'd love to hear a review from you on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to drop me a note about the podcast or have other ideas, you can leave a comment in the podcast page at travisstreb.com. All right, talk to you all next week. 